Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, September 12th, 2011. Got back from a, well, I consider a successful uh, trip out to uh, Elk River, Minnesota. Details forthcoming here in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the comparative work, open up our Bibles, and see if people are rightly handling God's Word. Uh, yeah, God's Word is not, uh, well, like a piece of silly putty. It's not like a piece of Play-Doh that you can bend it and shape it into all kinds of fun little uh, shapes and animals or or things that excite your imagination. No, 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 no. God's Word is fixed. Um, For instance, if you were to write a love letter to your your significant other, and uh, and you 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 expect that the words that you write in that love letter, well, that they have meaning, that they're supposed to mean a particular thing. You wouldn't want your your significant other to come away going, "Yeah, what was that letter all about? I didn't understand a word you were saying." I mean, it's it's. I mean, you said something like about you know loving me and stuff like that, but what does that mean exactly? What what is love? You know. Can you? Is it just a feeling, or is it? it you know, think you understand what I'm saying. You, you don't do that when with normal communications. When your boss sends out a memo at work, you don't sit there and engage in postmodern deconstruction to try to figure out. Well, what exactly did he mean? Unless, of course, your boss is just a miserable communicator. But since the um, the Bible is the Word of God, it's uh, all Scripture is God breathed. Uh, that means that God the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired it. And God the Holy Spirit, well, he's not a stutterer. He doesn't have a problem communicating. And so he communicated particular thoughts and ideas using the words that he did, uh, that he inspired when the scriptures were written in uh, the different time periods that they were written in it, by the different authors whom he chose to uh, to be his instruments for uh, taking down the scriptures and uh, or, or to inspire them so the idea here is is that god intended to communicate some things and uh, no human being me you nobody uh has the right to you know take god's word and and treat it like well silly putty like i said earlier you know just bend it into all little fun little shapes and stuff like that it's the bible you can bend it into this little thing you can do that with it you can turn it into a pretzel and 
Yeah, you can make a paper airplane out of it. No, 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 that's not what you're supposed to do. So anyway, uh, this I was out of studio on uh, on Friday. And uh, the reason being is is that uh, I uh, I hopped in the uh, pirate Christian radio mobile and uh, made the trick up, up up to Elk River, Minnesota, and uh, spent some time there in Elk River and uh, lectured there regarding Eric Dykstra. Now, um, the people who I was working with uh, when we tra- when I traveled up there, uh, Backdoor Ministries. We remember we uh, I interviewed Jeremy Rogan uh, a, a while back. He was somebody who was a former non-paid volunteer pastoral staff there at. Uh, at the uh, the Crossing Church, and he spent uh, just about a year there, and uh, he and his wife were married there. And then uh, after he <clears throat> didn't agree with uh, things that were being said and done there, he uh, they promptly left and uh, and uh, lost all of his friends, and and uh, n- none of the people who were at his wedding would talk to him anymore. I mean, that's kind of the way cults work. But anyway, uh, the, what was really interesting about this event was that the folks that. Uh, that really are the ones who pulled this off. Uh, the the the, uh, the 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 folks who are part of that backdoor ministries. They were just fantastic to work with. Great group of people. Fantastic group of people. All of whom have unique stories, and they're tragic stories of how they were hurt or abused or manipulated or controlled by uh, or, or a family member is caught up with uh, the Crossing Church out there in Elk River, Minnesota. And so it was really, really uh, just uh, fascinating and, uh, and exciting to work with a group of people who, number one, love and support each other. These these are folks who uh, meet together once a week to help each other work through uh, their feelings of uh, anger and and manipulation and all the things that happened to them. And kind of work through you know to, to get them to the point of forgiveness and uh, moving on uh, with what happened to them at the Crossing Church. And so that that's a fantastic group that's on the ground up there. But uh, I, I got to tell you, in my experience uh, with working with people and talking with people who've been hurt by uh, by churches, uh, even seeker driven ones, um, I've never seen a group more organized than this group. And they were really truly instrumental in pulling this thing off. And they really wanted to love and serve their neighbors out there in Elk River, Minnesota, by you know, doing something to warn the community about uh, about the dangers of the crossing church and so uh not only was the event successful but um the the, the publicity if you want to if you want to call it that w- uh, was very effective and uh, they they were uh, the story itself about the, uh, the the name of the event by the way was double cross by the crossing church and um the event itself was covered by i think all of the uh, the the major local news outlets and so the, you got you know the Fox affiliate, the CBS affiliate, um, you know they they all covered the story. And what was really neat was to see that all of the different people who were in the backdoor ministries, it's like each and every one of them were were able to be interviewed by a different uh, a different news channel. And as a result of it, when you when collectively a lot of their stories were able to get out. And uh, and so now we you know we have to wait and see if uh, if uh, the people of Elk River got the message if if they understand the dangers that exist there at the Crossing Church. But it was a fantastic event. And what I'm going to do today on Fighting for the Faith is is play for you the lecture that I gave at this uh, at this event. And uh, what I'm going to when we get to a particular part of it, what's really interesting is is that 
um, you know, going into Elk River, we knew that there were going to be people who attended the Crossing Church who would be showing up for the event itself. And uh, it didn't surprise us when they were there. And we kind of anticipated ahead of time that uh, some of them wouldn't, um, well, let's just say properly behave in public. And uh, and so um, yeah, let's just say I was prepared for just about anything. And, uh, and you know, what we had happen is, you know, is that several of them you know, felt like, well, they're just going to take advantage of the opportunity and, you know, and interrupt my, uh, my lecture. And so we had several interruptions by people who attend the Crossing Church. And so um, it's really hard to hear them. And so um, since I know what they said, I'll, I'll kind of, when we get to that part of the, uh, the lecture, I'll fill you in as to what they said so that then my, my answers make sense. But um, yeah, I mean, seriously, I mean, uh, I, I wonder what uh, Eric Dykstra would do if uh, people from the backdoor ministries were showing up at his church and interrupting his sermon. But, uh, it, you know, anyway, that's kind of neither here nor there. But uh, it uh, was quite interesting to, you know, hear what they had to say. And, uh, and well, y- you're going to hear in a second. But what I want to do is I want to play for you the audio from one of the news stories, which I think was uh, probably out of all of them, this was the best one. The best one was put together by the Fox News affiliate there um, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Fox 9. So, in fact, I think you can find it at myfoxtwincities.com, myfoxtwincities.com if you want to see the video. But the gal who uh, uh, the gal who was the reporter on this, uh, what I loved about the way she handled it is that um, she actually took the time to kind of try to digest from our point of view what the major points were. And uh, and so I spent some time with her showing her the video that I was going to present as far as the presentation so that she understood kind of ahead of time what my main points would be because I knew that all of the news stations would leave partway through the event itself because, you know, they had deadlines that they had to meet. And uh, But uh, this gal actually took the time to kind of get the gist of what was going on, and she did a fantastic uh, job in her story. So uh, let me play that for you. Here is uh, the name of the uh, the story is Ex-Followers Rally Against Controversial Elk River Church. And this was uh, the news coverage from the Fox News affiliate there in Minneapolis. The style of worship at a Minnesota church frustrates some of the families of some of the church's members. They claim the church is actually pulling them apart. Well, the Crossing Church in Elk River has made news before, holding aggressive promotions to boost attendance on religious holidays, and now a group is speaking out against the church. Fox 9's Jody Ambrose visited Elk River today with what has the people all worked up there. Jody? Well, Tim, many of the people say they don't feel comfortable with the pastor's teachings. They say the Crossing Church is more controlling than Christian. Most churches don't advertise smoking hot sermons, but the crossing isn't your typical house of worship. Anybody else ever seen a glowing band in church before? We first spoke to Pastor Eric Dykstra after he started services at a bar. We thought, what would be a unique place that we could start church that would really work for people who aren't sure about faith? Now, several former church members claim they've been double-crossed by the crossing. When I think of Kelly and Eric, I think of Hitler's youth. They are so in control and they do not allow people to speak. Mary Leckler left the church but says others were forced out after questioning the crossing's teachings. More than 100 people gathered at Elk River High School to share stories and listen. This is heartbreaking that I've lost my son. Now this is Katie Kennedy. Uh, She's a frequent uh, commenter on my Facebook wall. 
And uh, her son, Curtis, uh, absolutely just under the thumb of um, of the Dykstras. But uh, this, I'm so glad she's able to get her story out. We continue. That I've lost my son. I shouldn't have lost him. He should be home with his family. Katie Kennedy church believes church leaders urged her 18-year-old son to quit school, leave home, and get married. Christian radio host Chris Roseborough says it's cult-like behavior. Eric Dykstra is a guy who fits the classic mold of somebody who is a religious predator, who's self-delusional, narcissistic, caught up in his own world. The Crossing Church emailed us this statement saying we simply present truth straight from the Bible and leave it up to you to decide what to do with it. And no one is ever asked to leave because they disagree with the teaching. Yeah, what's really odd there, Kelly Dykes was saying no one is ever asked to leave because they disagree with the teaching, yet the, the several of the folks that I spoke with, uh, that's exactly what happened to them. Weird. Yeah. <clears throat> Katie Kennedy's son, Curtis, sent us this video message. And I just hope that things get figured out and reconciled quickly and that she'll just stop blaming my church for the decisions that I made. His mother isn't convinced. She's one of dozens accusing the crossing of being too controlling. Me as a Christian says, let God's will be done. I don't know what that's going to be. Some of the people at the meeting tonight told me they were also encouraged to give large amounts of money to the church. Katie Kennedy says her son sold his car and basically everything he owns to give to the crossing. I spoke with Pastor Dykstra's wife, Kelly, on the phone today. She says often when churches try to do something different, they are misunderstood. Tim? Well, Jody, this group that met tonight, what's their next move now? Well, they say they are just trying to move on and heal. They're not accusing the church of doing anything illegal here. They're just upset with the church's teachings. They want to move forward, but they're hoping to rely on each other for some support, mm -hmm. Tim. All right. Thanks, Judy. So there you go. That was uh, probably what I consider the best of, of the uh, news reports. And so it was. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and encouraged by the fact that the media covered the event and uh, and that the the folks there that are part of that backdoor ministries, uh, the folks who've been kicked out, manipulated, abused, or have people who are caught up in it and being controlled, uh, that uh, that they're able to get their side of the story out and to warn the the Elk River community about Eric Dykstra. Now, what I'm going to do uh, for the remainder of the program is play for you my lecture from uh, from this event. And uh, and you know, so without any further ado, here is uh, what I said at the uh, Double Crossed by the Crossing Church event in Elk River, Minnesota, uh, this past Friday night. Here we go. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a moment and pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you would have all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. By your almighty power and unsearchable wisdom, break and hinder all the counsels of those who hate your word, and who by corrupt teaching would destroy it. Enlighten them with the knowledge of your glory, that they may know the riches of your heavenly grace, and in peace and righteousness serve you, the only true God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Name of my lecture, Double Crossed by the Crossing. By the way, I'm making a whole bunch of resources available to the community of Elk River, and you can find it at my website, piratechristianradio.com 
forward slash double crossed. There you will find sermon reviews. I have taken the time to review many sermons by Eric Dykstra. You will find resources to Christian apologetic works regarding tithing, regarding what the nature of a cult is, what the definition of, of a cult is, and what the warning signs are. I make these available to you because in the time that I have tonight, I cannot possibly cover everything. And so the scriptures tell us in the book of Acts that the Bereans were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians because when the Apostle Paul came to Berea and preached the gospel to them, they took the time to test the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached to them. Just because he was the Apostle Paul, he didn't get off the hook. And keep in mind, the Apostle Paul is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his conversion to Christianity is equivalent to Adolf Hitler becoming a Jew. And yet the Apostle Paul suffered and allowed his gospel to be tested by the Bereans and the Holy Spirit, inspiring good Dr. Luke when he wrote the book of Acts, tells us that the Bereans were of a more noble character because they tested everything that he said against the Scriptures. And that's what I would ask you to do. Test. Our good Lord Jesus Christ tells us to test. He warned us that in the last day there would be deceivers, false Christs and false prophets who would deceive, if possible, even the elect. Test. Don't believe me. Don't believe your neighbor. Believe the Scriptures. And part of what I'm going to do tonight is going to teach you how to use the Scriptures properly and expose to you some of the things that are going wrong. Now, if you've all seen the movie Jaws, there's a character by the name of Matt Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfuss. Um, A very nerdy character who really likes sharks. Think of me as the theological equivalent of Matt Hooper. I'm a very nerdy guy, okay? And I specialize in religious predators. And the reason why I specialize in religious predators, just like Matt Hooper. Matt Hooper specialized in sharks because one time he had a skiff out there and a thresher shark just ate that thing up and it sank. I'm interested in religious predators because I spent nearly a year in a cult. I was part of a religious organization called the New Apostolic Reformation at the time we were called the Latter Rain Movement. The church that I was a part of, we had a prophetess who heard from God. And she controlled everything my wife and I did. To how much money we spent on food. She had a prophecy as to how many children we can have. And every waking moment that I wasn't at work, we were at church. I know deception from the inside out. And I know how it works. I'm somebody who's spent time not studying it academically, but somebody who's experienced it. And as a result of my experience, I've dedicated literally my entire adult career to studying religious predators, deception, heretics, and have been trained by apologists to be able to counter their teaching with the biblical truth. So I come to this as somebody who's been around the block when it comes to religious deception. And so let's just get to it. Is the Crossing Church a cult? That's the question that's on the table. Okay, Now, here's the problem. There's a lot of confusion regarding the word cult because you can define it a lot of different ways. 
For instance, you can talk about cults such as the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. And you could say cults are religious organizations that counterfeit as Christian groups that have a theology that contradicts core doctrines of the Christian faith. That's one definition of a cult. But see, the thing is, is that when it comes to cult behavior, there's actually a spectrum of different organizations that fit within a cult. Some of them maintain an orthodox doctrinal statement. Others are actually companies. Have any of you ever wondered if your, if your friends and family who sell Amway are part of a cult? Okay. So we've got a problem of definitions because it's an elastic term that can be used many different ways. And at the outset of, an, of a talk like this, I don't really particularly find it useful. So here's a better question. Is Eric Dykstra a religious predator or a true shepherd of Christ's sheep? Provocative question, I understand. But keep in mind the words of our Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus warns about false prophets who would come to you in his name. When we think about the devil, we have this really weird caricature of the devil. The devil wears a red union suit, he has a, a tail, and he carries a pitchfork and has a goatee, right? But we learn from the scripture that when the devil comes to us, he comes to us as an angel of light. When somebody who is deceiving us comes to us, they do everything they can to make themselves look like the original so that they're not detected. If you were to go to Walmart and try to pay for your groceries with Monopoly money, do you think they'd take it? Of course not. It doesn't look anything like the real thing. And that's the nature of deception. Deception's all about tricking you into believing one thing when all the while it's something different. It looks like this. Okay? In case you want to know, how do you spot the wolf? You look for the zipper. Okay? Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul pleading with the churches in Ephesus saying that he will never see them again. He says, After I leave, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Do you think the Holy Spirit put this in there for a reason? He did. And now to the verse that I gave at the beginning, Acts 17. Now, the Bereans were of a more noble character than the, those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. First Thessalonians chapter... Whoa! Hang on. It just did it all by itself. Ah! All right. Here's what, it's, here's what it says. I can see it. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. By the way, Eric Dykstra believes this in some sense. Here he is. Seriously, when I'm talking about corrupt leaders tonight, if I am one, you better kick me in the shins. Or worse, or bail, or don't ever show up again. Because the church of Jesus, if it's going to be the only hope of all the world, better not be corrupt. You know what I'm saying? Let's pray and we'll do it. I agree with him. That's what Eric Dyktris says. 
If he's a corrupt leader, no, don't kick him in the shins. Seriously, that, that's violence. We don't advocate that. And I don't want you to light torches and do the Frankenstein thing. Okay? But we're going to do. We're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to test. Now, here's the question. Has Eric Dykstra really received a vision from God? That's the question. Has Eric Dykstra really received a vision from God? Okay? Now, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I'm going to play for you a, a several minute long segment from the sermon entitled Love My Church, where Eric is encouraging people by asking the question, are you on the bus or are you off the bus? And part one and part two of the code are actually pretty troubling as somebody who is a Christian apologist who understands religious predators. The four of us are going to walk through the 18 major values of the church. We're going to go through them really, really fast. It's going to pop through 18 values of the church. Now, in telling you these values, here's what you got to know. This is the code of the crossing church. Stick to the code. We've, yeah, we're going to stick to the code. That's what makes us successful. That, that's what, why God's hand of favor and blessing is on this church, is we stick to the code. And we're going to keep sticking to the code. We've got some beliefs. Okay, I've got to stop there for a second. If you listen to my radio program, one of the things I do when I review people is I stop them when they say things that are a little bit red flagish. God blesses them because they stick to the code? Where in the Bible does it say that if you, your church has a code and you stick to the code, God will bless you? I can't think of a single passage that says anything like that. Let's continue. But we also got a code. We want you to know what the code of the crossing church is. There are 18 of them, first and foremost. Here's the first one. Throw that up there. The church of Jesus Christ is the only hope in all the world. We believe that with all our heart. Yeah. I do not think political parties change the world. I don't think government's going to change the world. I do think somebody else is going to get elected, and then people are going to argue because the wrong guy got elected. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Jesus only created one thing. He created a church, which means the only thing he thought might make an impact on planet Earth when he bailed was the church. Okay, stop. Is he talking about his church or the church right now? The church. The church is everywhere. It's all over the world, right? That would be the church in Africa, the church in Indiana, the church in Elk River, Duluth, Brooklyn Heights, anywhere, right? The church. Okay, I want you to pay close attention to something. He's going to switch definitions without warning. Right. Which means this, if you're a part of the crossing church, you orbit your life around the crossing church. It's the only thing that matters on planet earth. That's what basically Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. So we believe this, that we orbit like the crossing church is the sun and us as, as people that attend this church, man, we orbit our finances around the crossing church. We, we, we orbit our time around the crossing church. We don't just show up when we feel like it. We come because men... Notice he went from the church to the church. And we orbit our finances. We orbit our life around this particular congregation. This is a unique statement that he makes. And what I mean by that is, is that I have never heard a grassroots ordinary pastor make such a statement, ever. I have only, in my 25 years of studying religious predators, seen... Religious predators talk like this. That's just my professional experience. This is the most important entity on planet Earth. 
That's right. we, we, are, we orbit our talents around the Crossing Church. We're going to make sure that whatever talent we have, we're going to use it at the Crossing Church to better reach people and to populate hell. We orbit our lives around the Crossing Church because we think it's the only hope in all the world. That's right. The Crossing Church is the only hope in all the world. I don't think that's a Freudian slip. We continue. Yeah. Number two, we are united under the visionary. Now, the visionary here is Eric. The crossing is built on the vision that God gave Pastor Eric. And we will aggressively defend that vision. Now, what does that mean? You aggressively defend that. That means that we do church the way he wants us to do it. And me as a campus pastor, I can't go up to Zimmerman and decide that I'm going to preach on Sunday because that's not the vision that we have for this church that God gave to Eric. Mm -hmm. And we defend that when people go, well, maybe we should do it this way. And we're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. God gave Eric this vision. We do it this way because we don't want to argue with God. Basically, we don't. Okay, here's the problem. Did, when somebody claims that they've had a vision from God and other people are following him as the man of God, there's no distinction between God and the man. The two become so intermingled that to contradict the leader is to contradict God. Do you see it? Okay. Now, they're going to clarify because they just realized how outlandish that sounded. I want to be like, you know, Eric's not God. We're not saying Eric's God. He's not God. Uh, not God. But he's got a vision from God, and we have decided with our lives that we're going to follow that vision, mm-hmm. and we're going to stick to that. And if we ever just decide that we don't want to be a part of that vision, then we can go find a church and serve somewhere else. And that's, that's okay. We're not telling anybody that they have to unite under this vision that... that Eric got from God, you can do whatever you want. But we think that it's a really cool vision. We're on board with it. And we're going to defend it and we're going to stick to it. Okay. So, notice something else. Eric didn't say he had a vision from God. His, this guy did. It's a classic tactic to lend credibility to somebody who claims to be receiving visions from God. Okay? That's a classic, classic deception tactic. But here's the question. Okay? Um, so here's everything the Bible says regarding individual pastors receiving visions from God about how to do church. Okay? Get ready to take some notes. Here's everything the Bible says about a pastor, an individual pastor, receiving a vision from God on how to do church. There it is. Every single word in the Bible. Okay. But in the Bible we have this. J- Jude, who is the brother of Jesus, warns about people. He says this about false teachers. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds who feed only themselves. That's what the Greek says. These are shepherds who feed only themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, and they are wandering stars. 
Wandering Stars is an interesting statement. Back in the days before GPS, satellites, and all of that kind of stuff, when sailors would navigate, they would have to use a fixed star. There's only one, Polaris. In order to navigate, you cannot navigate using a wandering star or a star that moves. You have to have a fixed point. One of the classic things that the Bible tells us about false teachers is that they are wandering stars. Their doctrine shifts and moves, and it never, fix, it never stays put because they're really not teaching the Bible. Instead, they're teaching things that are relying upon their own dreams. But see, here's the deal. Eric Dykstra, since he claims to have a vision from God, actually fits within a particular category that the Bible teaches us. The category is prophet. Now the question is, is he a true prophet or is he a false prophet? That's the only question that matters. If he's a true prophet, he's really hearing from God, then his teaching is going to accord with sound biblical doctrine. When we investigate what it is that he's teaching, it's not going to conflict with Scripture. Okay? Because God the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to deceivers. They may be getting a religious voice talking to them, but the origin is not the throne of heaven. So we have to test. Is he a true prophet or is he a false prophet? And the only way we can do that is to test his fruit. And the way you test his fruit is by looking at his life and his doctrine. It's both. And he has to pass both those tests. Since he claims to have a vision from God, Christians have an obligation to scrutinize everything he says about God very carefully against the Bible. Okay? All right, we are going to pause my lecture right there and we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quad Doe. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, 
in Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, anybody who claims to have received a vision from God that they are to only do church for unchurched people is a false prophet. Categorically, the Bible contradicts that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, let's continue. Here's the balance of my lecture at uh, Elk River, Minnesota, at Elk River High School, entitled Double Crossed by the Crossing Church. Here we go. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here, and I want to talk about the men who've influenced Eric Dykstra. This Eric Dykstra, clearly on his Twitter account and former Facebook page, has made it clear about the men who've influenced him. These include Bill Cornelius, Perry Noble, Mark Beeson, and Stephen Furtick. All of these guys have the shepherding skills of a mafia don, okay? And I'll explain that here in a second. Well, you'll see what I'm saying. Here's Stephen Furtick beating his sheep for wanting to be fed the word of God. When you showed up to church this morning, did you show up with a bless me, feed me, make me fatter preacher? I don't intend to do a thing you say, but I'm going to listen to you. And if you dadgum say one thing I don't like, I promise I'll cross my arms and cross my eyes at you the rest of the sermon. 
Did you show up to file a little bit more religious information in your already overloaded hard drive so that you could do absolutely nothing about it? The church is full of pot-bellied Christians waiting to shove their spiritual food down their mouth one more time, but they don't intend to do anything to bless anybody. You are a Pharisee. You sit on the front row. You might even take notes, but you take notes so you can argue with them with your roommate after church and how I don't really believe in all that. Yeah, but if we ever start turning in this front row Pharisee crowd, I don't think the teaching's deep enough. I would like a little more hermeneutical explanation on the original languages in the Aramaic and the Hebrew. Jesus says, shut up. Help somebody. Bless somebody. Heal somebody. Serve somebody. Pray for somebody. Why don't you... Did you catch that? Jesus says, shut up. That's not the Jesus I know. Do something. Why don't you bring a lost friend to church with you next week, watch Jesus change their life, and then you won't be worried about how loud the music was. You'll just hope that they meet Jesus. That'll be the only thing you can think about. It'll consume you. But some people say, I wish you wouldn't preach all these topical sermons. I wish you'd just preach verse by verse through the book of Galatians so that we can understand the full propitiation of the justification by faith. No, here's what you want to do. You want to pull your fat butt up to the table and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And some of y'all even double dip because you go to three churches, you don't serve at any, and you're fat and you need to get on a treadmill and do something for Jesus. Okay. Dykstra, well... I wouldn't say he loves Furtick because he actually has made it very clear that he's a little bit discouraged about the fact that Furtick, being younger than him, has a bigger church than he does. But he's uh, ripped off some of uh, Furtick's stories and told them in his sermons, which I found to be rather interesting. Tells them as if they're his own. But I have a question. Let's not answer it now, but let's put it on the table. Who does the church exist for? Okay? Who does the church exist for? And let me ask an ancillary question that's not up there. Do you or I get to decide who the church exists for? Who decides? Jesus. Okay. Okay. Now, here's another one of the men who has influenced him, giving a similar beating to his sheep. Always some yahoo in the crowd who climbs up in this chair. And they don't get it. They climb up in this chair and they go, feed me. Wait, pastor, pastor, feed me over here. And they throw a little baby fit, wanting all the attention. They get up in this chair. Oh, no, this is not the high chair. This is the eye chair. It's all about me. It's all about me. They sit here whining, oh, I want more, deeper, deeper worship. I want more Bible study. Feed me, feed me. Big, wimpy, soft, baby, sissy. This is a pastor, by the way. These people wear me out. And I talk to pastors all over the country. And they say, what do you do with the needy people? I say, the needy who don't yet know Christ, they don't know they matter to God. No, no, the needy, mature Christians who always want it deeper. They want more Bible study, deeper worship. They want the pastor to open up the Bible and preach the text. That's a pastor. So I ask the question again. Who does the church exist for? I'm not going to answer it. Now, here's another one of his favorite influences. And this guy is somebody whom, uh, let's just say that we don't get along. Um, Perry and I have um, traded blows on the Internet, and um, it was rather interesting. But here is a guy by the name of Perry Noble, who is the head pastor of a church 
in uh, Anderson, South Carolina, by the name of um, New Spring. And this is from his annual pastor's conference. I happened to be in the audience that day, and he actually called me a jackass. Um, yeah, while I was there, it was rather interesting. Um, but uh, he wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about the jackass in the church. And I want you to listen carefully who Perry Noble thinks the jackass in the church is. And this was to more than 2,500 pastors. You say, Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. Deep? Deep? Most Christians are, uh, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. I want more worship. You got six other days. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, it wouldn't matter to you how much we sang. Yeah, don't come to church expecting worship. (laughs) Forget the fact that there's a passage in the Bible that talks about, you know, singing psalms and spiritual songs to each other and hymns and things like that. (laughs) You're a jackass if you want to go deeper in the Bible. See, Eric Dykstra is part of a movement And these are his mentors. These are the men who he's trying to model the crossing church after. And all of these men have something in common with Eric Dykstra. They all believe that they have made themselves worthy to receive a vision from God on how to do church a particular way. And one thing they all have in common is is that they say things like this. We do church for the people who are far from God. We do church for people who are not Christians. Now, I've learned languages. I read Greek and Hebrew, a little bit of Latin. My mom tried to teach me German, and I laughed at her. Um, But words have meanings. Do you know what the word church means? Ekklesia. The called out ones. Somebody who isn't a Christian is not part of the ecclesia. Somebody who is not a Christian is part of the kingdom of darkness. You can't do church for people who are children of the devil. God has to add them to the church by bringing them to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. So what's going on here is what... Throughout Christian history, you see a problem when it comes to heresies. There's Christological heresies regarding who Jesus is. You remember the Arian heresy? The Arians denied that Jesus was divine. And then you got different groups out there claiming all kinds of different things. You've got doctrines of the doctrine of the Trinity, how salvation occurs. You've got the Pelagian heresy. And over and over again, what happens is, is that when there's a heresy, somebody is cutting the tension that exists that God has created. For instance, if I were to say to you, how many of you all have kids? Okay, 
I've got kids. How many of you that have kids have both boys and girls? Okay. If I were to tell you that I've received a vision from God, that even though I have both boys and girls, that God has told me that he only wants me to use my parenting skills to parent boys, would you think that came from God? Why? Because God gave me girls too, right? Okay? You can't abdicate what God has given you to do. And the pastoral office has existed for 2,000 years, and it was instituted by Christ. So I come back to my question, who does the church exist for? By the way, I'm going to show you a couple of videos that are not as damning, and I picked the softer ones rather than the harder ones, but just to show you, to demonstrate that Eric Dykstra actually does still think this way. Here's, here's one. It's the heart of God. It's not about the people in the house. It's always about the people outside the house. That's why we call ourselves a church of people who don't do church. Because our church exists for those that don't sit in the seat yet. Church exists for people who don't sit in the seat yet. Okay, another one. If this is your church, I'm going to call you to this challenge again. I'm calling you to a Titus 1A challenge. I'm going to give you an image first. I want you to see this image. This is our uh, Easter series. It starts four weeks from today. It's Jesus in 3D. Jesus in 3D. My goal is to take Jesus off the page. And make him come alive. Too many people think Jesus is just this, 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 this person on a page with no value today. I want to go, <laughs> I want to make Jesus alive in everybody's life. And so for three weeks, I'm going to teach you who Christ really is and how he can affect every moment of your day. But I'm not doing this for any person who sits in this room. Then who are you doing it for? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Again, I ask a question. Who does the church exist for? Here's the answer. Matthew chapter 28. This is Jesus talking. This is called the Great Commission. By the way, if you want to know the church's vision and mission statement, okay, you and I don't get to make those up. Christ has already given us them. You can find them in two places. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, and in Luke chapter 24. In Matthew 28, we read this. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The, the Greek here is, is interesting because um, it's, it, it's, it's as you are going you know, about your daily business. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So, question, who does the church exist for? Answer, both. The saved and the unsaved. You can't pick one or the other, just like you can't pick to parent only boys or only girls, unless God only gives you boys or girls to parent, and God help you if that happens to you. Okay. Let me give you another passage. And this is important. When you read in the book of 1 Corinthians, okay, it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God gives gifts to each Christian for specific reasons. Paul fleshes this out a little bit more in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ. What is the purpose of a pastor according to this passage in the Bible? To build the body of Christ. Does any pastor have the right to contradict this and say that God the Holy Spirit gave them a vision to only focus on the people on the outside? No, they don't. What does that mean? Strike one, and that's all it takes. Eric Dykstra is a false prophet. He did not receive a vision from God. Because God the Holy Spirit never contradicts Himself. Never. If His Word says that that He's given us teachers and shepherds to build the body of Christ, the job of a pastor is to build the body of Christ, not kick them when they ask to be fed or say they want to go deeper. Anybody who claims that they've received a vision from God that contradicts this is lying to you. That's strike one. Okay, now i got to pause here for a second. This is the first of several interruptions that... Uh, I received while delivering this lecture, and uh, this gal stood up and basically said, the Bible's supposed to feed us, not pastors. Okay, let's see how this went down. Okay. Right, but the job of a pastor is to preach the Word. The Scriptures say that. Because here's the deal. There's mature Christians, and there's immature Christians. The mature Christians who are instructed in sound doctrine, according to the Scriptures, are told to preach the Word and instruct people in sound doctrine, to build them up in the knowledge of God. That's the job. We should should be so filled by the Word that by Sunday we are told that we don't need a pastor to fill us. Okay. I don't know how well you can hear it, but I I can hear it because I got my headphones turned like all the way up. She basically said, well, we should be so filled with the Word of God that by the time we get to church on Sunday, we don't need to hear it from the pastor. Oh, brother. <laughs> this, I, if anything, this shows you just how programmed in bad theology and bad doctrine the followers of Eric Dykstra are. Because I just quoted the passage from Ephesians that says the exact opposite of what is it she says. But let's see how, this, how I answered it. The Bible doesn't say that. The job of the pastor. Right here. What does it say? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. The job of a pastor and a teacher in the church is to equip and build up the body. What you've said contradicts the clear teaching of the Word of God. We continue. Now, I'm going to talk about money. Okay, Religious predators seem to obsess about this. And I'm going to play some clips to you that should disturb you. Give me another one. If I sacrifice, I doubt that God will bless me, man. I'm going to bless the guy on the stage because he got a tie on. <laughs> I wore a tie to church. Isn't that weird? <laughs> he, got, he got a tie on. Like, he'll bless him, but he's not going to bless me. Let's just talk about truth for a second. Deuteronomy 15 verse 10 says this. This is what the Bible actually says when you're going, God's not really going to bless me. He only blesses the dude on the stage. 
Give freely without begrudging it. Or stop being a grumpy pants with your bling. Give freely without being a grumpy pants. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. What's everything mean? What's everything mean? Everything. everything. In other words, I'm going to bless your finances. I'm going to bless your future. I'm going to bless your marriage. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to make sure that you're, you're, here's what we think. We think, if I give money to this, if I really... Okay, I'm going to pause right there. According to Eric Dykstra, Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 10 says what? That if you give, God will bless you in everything. Right? That's what he said. Okay. I'm going to teach you a classic deception technique. And this is why it's important to always test what people say against the clear word of God. And I'll go back and we'll take a look at this. Okay, and it's going to take me a second. I have to get my computerized Bible out. And I apologize. I am a geek. All right, hold on a second here. Okay, Let's see if I can do this. All right, so he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. Here's what it says. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Sounds like if you give money to your church, then God's going to bless you in everything, right? Okay, let me show you what happens here. There are three rules that I use for sound biblical interpretation. Here they are. Context, context, context. If I add verses to this, do you think that this is what this passage is teaching? Okay, let's take a look. Right now I have zero verses added. Let's add a few. Maybe like four. Okay, let's scroll up. Okay, Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. What's the context of this passage? You've got a family member who's gone into poverty, right? God is saying you need to do something to help your brother who has gone into poverty. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. Is it saying to give to your church? Is this a tithe? Is this an offering? This is a loan. Lend to him whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year of the year of release is near. That's the year of Jubilee. And you, your eye look begrudgingly because at, at that particular year, anybody who's, who owes money to somebody else, the debt is canceled. God is so gracious. It's a picture of what God does for us in the forgiveness of sins when by Christ on the cross. So the seventh year, don't let your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out against the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Now this is the verse. Verse 10. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be begrudging when you give because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work. In the Code of the Samurai Sermon, number two, 
where Eric Dykstra basically made it clear he wanted people to give a two-year commitment, huge financial sacrifice. He quoted this verse, Deuteronomy 15, verse 10, and made a promise to the people at the Crossing Church that if they gave freely, God would bless them in everything. Is that what the text says? Strike two. He has not received a vision from God. I'm sorry. No way. Let me see if I can continue here. Let's back this up and you can hear it now in context. If I sacrifice, I doubt that God will bless me, man. He's going to bless the guy on the stage because he got a tie on. <laughs> I wore a tie to church. Isn't that weird? <laughs> he, got, he got a tie on. Like, he'll bless him, but he's not going to bless me. Let's just talk about truth for a second. Deuteronomy 15 verse 10 says this. This is what the Bible actually says when you're going, God's not really going to bless me. He only blesses the dude on the stage. Give freely without begrudging it. Or stop being a grumpy pants with your bling. Give freely without being a grumpy pants. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. What's everything mean? What's everything mean? Everything. everything. In other words, I'm going to bless your finances. I'm going to bless your future. I'm going to bless your marriage. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to make sure that you're, you're... Here's what we think. We think, if I give money to this, if I really sacrifice, my kids will never be able to go to the dentist again and their teeth will rot out of their head. That's what you think. And God's going, well, if you just give out of the chair, I, would, I, I can make sure they don't even have to even have a cavity again. Because I'll bless everything they got. Is that verse promising that your kids will not have a cavity again if you give what, the money that you had budgeted for dental expenses in your family to Eric Dykstra? This is a classic, classic ploy of religious predators. Money is everything. Next to numbers. Here's another one. But here's what I know. The only way you ever see a miracle of God is you do the audacious, off-the-hook insane. And until you get up out of the chair, you will never see the miracles you really want to see in your life. Okay, got to pause. Okay. Another manipulation tactic. Notice the music playing in the background. If you listen to my radio program when I review sermons, if the pastor starts doing that, I always say, cue sappy music. The music in the background is designed to create an emotion. It's part of the sale. Okay? It creates the feeling that the Spirit's present and that what the pastor is saying has more emotional authenticity to it. But it's a manipulation tactic. Without the music, what he's about to say wouldn't go over. But I want to challenge something else here, and it requires me to go back to my computerized Bible. If you would just let me back this up a little bit. I want you to hear something he said, and then I'm going to show you something in the Scriptures. Listen again. But here's what I know. The only way you ever see a miracle of God is you do the audacious, off-the-hook insane. And until you get up out of the chair, you will never see the miracles you really want to see in your life. Okay, now, here's a question. Does the Bible teach that if you want to see a miracle of God, you have to earn it? You have to do something? You have to show God you're serious? Because God's sitting up in heaven going, if you don't do nothing, I'm not going to give you no miracles. Is that what the Bible teaches? Okay, well, let's test it. 
Okay, I had another verse I'd like to show you. If you're familiar with the uh, Galatian heresy, the, the uh, Judaizers came into the churches in Galatia and were basically telling people, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Paul blisters them to within an inch of their life in that book. It's a fantastic book in the Bible. It's a proper distinction of law and gospels taught there. But I want to point something out here. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted and credited and imputed to him as righteousness. Salvation is a free gift. And God's not waiting for you to give a huge amount of money so that he can perform a miracle in your life. God performs miracles in your life because he's a God who loves you and gives freely. Look at Jesus Christ. Did you do anything to earn Christ's death on the cross and His victorious resurrection from the grave, that was for you before you were even born when you were still dead in trespasses and sins. Dijkstra is teaching a quid, a quid pro quo, a this for that. And that verse says that God works miracles not because you perform works of the law, but because you believe by faith. It's all gift. Now let's go back and listen to him again. But here's what I know. The only way you ever see a miracle of God is you do the audacious, off-the-hook, insane. And until you get up out of the chair, you will never see the miracles you really want to see in your life. Jesus gave it all. By the way, he gave it all. Let's just check this out. He gave it all and then uh, died. And it was really bad for like three days, but then God resurrected him. This is what's true for you as well. As you sacrifice, God resurrects you. He resurrects you. But without sacrifice, there is no resurrection. There just isn't. On any part of your life. And so we're going to call you to be like Jesus. I want you to think about, some of you need to give your 401k. You just do. You know God's talking to you right now. I got I to give it. Several people called the church last week and said, I'm going to give it. How do I do that? So, some of you, man, you're going to sell a car, you're going to sell a boat, maybe you'll sell a house. Some of you sell a tree, you just don't sell drugs. Don't do that. But well, whatever, but, but I want you to, maybe you turn off your cable, stop going to Starbucks for coffee. We want you to actually live like Jesus, sacrificially, not to just give from your wealth. Some of you are going to need to sell a house, sell a car, cash in your 401k, cancel your cable, stop going to Starbucks, because if you don't, well, then you're not going to see a miracle in your life. You want miracles, don't you? So get out your checkbook and start buying them.
He's selling them. I continue. The Apostle Peter, who, by the way, was a witness of Jesus Christ. Do you know that when Peter was crucified under Nero, a lot of people don't know that historically he actually had to watch his wife be crucified the day before. And when they were nailing his wife to the cross and she was screaming out in pain, his words to her were, remember how loving our Lord was. When they took him to crucify him, he said, no, I'm not worthy to die the same death my Lord did. And they said, fine, we'll crucify you upside down. It took him days to die. This is a man who was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ. He spent three years with Jesus. And he warns us about false teachers. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Based upon what we compared Eric Dykstra say to what the Bible says, Was he exploiting the people at the crossing church with false words? In his greed. It gets worse. Um, But we also, in a couple minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to give an offering. And that's because for those of us who have committed to follow Jesus with our lives, we know that one of the things that God asks from us to demonstrate our faith in him is to give him a tithe and an offering. And a tithe, tithe means tenth, the top ten percent of what he provides for us. He asks that we return to him and then trust him to meet our needs. And then we have an opportunity to give an offering as well, which is on top of our tithe. Now, I heard this guy this week, he was talking and he said, the tithe opens the windows of heaven and the offering determines how much it's going to come out. Because God promises that he'll throw open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing when you tithe and when you give. So I kind of had this image in my mind of like, you know, heaven and these windows. And there's like a little gnome. I don't know why the gnome is in my head. But it's like, it's like the little gnome is kind of waiting and he hears the tithe hit the offering bucket. And so he like opens the window and he looks out. And then he hears the offering, the offering on top of the tithe, hit that bucket, and he's like, all right, and he starts shoveling the blessings out. The, I thought it was cool, but anyway. So there's a gnome in heaven. not familiar with this gnome. I've never heard of any passages that say this in context. You want a blessing from God? You can buy it at the Crossing Church. It's funny, if you're familiar with the history of the Reformation, St. Peter's Basilica, when it was being built, was a very expensive building project. Magnificent building. The Pope authorized people to go throughout the European countryside and sell indulgences. They were pieces of paper with the Pope offering to kind of pre-forgive sins or to spring dead relatives out of purgatory if you paid the right amount of money. That was their way of raising money. And one of the great salesmen at that time was a guy by the name of Johann Tetzel. And he had this wonderful, wonderful little jingle that he said, 
When the coin of the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory springs. So when the gnome in heaven hears your tithe hit the bucket, he opens up the window of heaven. And then he looks down and sees how much your offering is and says, okay, and he starts showering blessings down on you. It's not what the scriptures teach. God says to give from a cheerful heart, not under compulsion. Set aside the amount that you're going to give. Because if we're saved by grace through faith and we cannot earn God's favor or blessing, we give because we are thankful because of what God has done for us on the cross, not because we're trying to buy a blessing from Him. Right? Okay, I'm going to fast forward here a little bit because I want to watch my time. Here's a question I have. Which Jesus does Eric Dykstra preach? Remember I pointed out that false teachers are wandering stars. They don't have a fixed doctrine. Things continue to move. Let me ask you about this. I'll give you a second one. We're just going to keep cruising through the life Christ. Kind of hovercraft into the second thing. Jesus was a blue-collar construction worker. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Dude went to trade school? Not the college. He went to trade school. Now, the word for carpenter, I think, for those of you that don't know this, he was a carpenter for 15 years. 15 years of his life he spent as a carpenter. The word carpenter in Greek in the Bible actually means to work with wood or stone. And there's not a lot of wood in Israel. More than likely, dude was a bricklayer. He was a bricklayer. He's building houses, hanging out with uh, guys named Buzz and Shorty, building homes. Then after work, all the guys would go get drunk. And then, like, like they're swearing all the time. They're F this and F that on the, on, the, on the construction side all the time. This is the people Jesus is working with all the time. Hanging out with this kind of crowd all the time. By the way, I just should ask this question. Anybody know a bricklayer in here who's a wiener? <laughs> I don't. Every bricklayer I know is, like, ripped. Those dudes are all cut because they're lifting, like, big... Jesus is probably ripped. He's probably strong. He had calluses on his hands. And he hung out with guys that were a mess. They're like, they're like the hot girl walks by the construction site. They're like, hey, baby. She's like. <laughs> this is the, I bring this up. Here's why. This is really important. You catch this. This is so cool. Like, let's take it up. Let's move the dudeness up another notch. Okay. He hung out in an environment that was very, very crass. Where did he get this information? None of the eyewitness testimony that I read in the New Testament says anything about Buzz or Shorty. And by the way, it says that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. And we know from ancient church history, because the church fathers actually wrote about this, the type of carpenter that Joseph was and that Jesus worked in his shop was, he was the type of carpenter that made handles for, uh, for tools. He didn't care to check with church history. It's like not like the ancient church would know anything, you know, because they were so close to Christ and he's not. But, I mean, what's the point of having a fixed text if you're not going to actually preach it? Which Jesus is this? Gets a little more crazy. But I want to point something out first. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writing to the churches in Corinth he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent was dece- uh, deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion for, uh, to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims to you another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you received a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now, I'm going to point something out to you. If you know anything about church history, 
Okay, church history is marked with Christological debates and battles over the nature of Jesus. Okay, have we come to the point where we just abandon what the Gospels say and just start making stuff up about Jesus? No pastor has the right to do this because they're supposed to proclaim Christ, the historical one. We continue. But I'll give you, I'll give you a fourth one. Kind of a fourth buzz over on life Christ. Jesus knew how to have a good time. He was a fun to be around. Like, what? Jesus was a downer, man. No, actually, he wasn't. Like, I, I know that, like, my perspective on Jesus, was, besides Mr. Rogers, was the Mr. Spock Jesus. <laughs> Jesus walks out into room and says, let us pray now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, you have to do it in British accent. I don't know why. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in it. He just, like, he, you're not praying enough. Pray some more. No emotion. Never tells a joke. And somebody says something to him and he quotes the Bible to him. He just throws out, but he's like a, he's a Bible machine. Like, push the button. Oh, come to the Bible verse. That's, that's the perspective I had on Christ. He didn't have any emotions. He wasn't fun to be around. You couldn't laugh with him. He wasn't joyful. On the other hand, when I read the Bible, I realized he was nothing like the Mr. Spock downer Jesus. Dude was the life of the party, according to the book of Mark, says this, or book of Luke. The Son of Man, or Jesus, came eating and drinking, and you said, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know what that's saying? Jesus' reputation was frat boy. That's what it's saying. He was the life of the party. His best friends were drunkards and gluttons, tax collectors and sinners. And let me just ask you a question. If you're going to throw a kegger, do you want the dude that's always quoting Bible verses and praying there? No, he's a downer. He's a little boring. (laughs) On the other hand, who do you want at the kegger? The guys that are fun to be around, that tell all the jokes, that have a great time. That's who you want to invite to the party. And Christ got invited to a lot of parties, which tells me he had a great personality. He was attractive to be around. He was fun. He laughed a lot. He told jokes. He's the life of the party. Some of you are like, oh, but I, like, I, th- I didn't know that that was the Jesus. Like, he's prim and proper. And, you know, like, didn't go to cares. Actually, on the other hand, he did. That's why they accuse him. But does that mean, are you telling me that he like slammed the six pack every time he's there? And like, he's the dude that fell over dead drunk and smashed the table? No. What I'm telling you is he went to those places, hung out in that environment. Everybody else got trashed. And he still managed to maintain his self-control. Let me translate that. Jesus was the designated driver. Okay, now, now we get the next interruption. Now, this is one of the guys who is, uh, uh, well, one of the uh, volunteer staff at the crossing. Uh, he's asked the question, what's wrong with that? None of it's accurate. What Jesus do you believe in then, sir? Do you believe in frat boy Jesus? Do you believe in carpenter Jesus? How about Wyatt Earp? No, it does matter. Because we've been given a text... Which one? Remember the verse I quoted. The verse I quoted says, I am concerned that you are going to be deceived like Eve was deceived by the serpent. Because if somebody preaches to you another Jesus, this isn't the Jesus of Scripture. This is the Jesus of Eric Dykstra's imagination. Do the ends justify the means? 
Yes. Sir, if you stu- if you are a Christian today, it's because of God's word, not because of Eric Dykstra. The, the Jesus he worships? I'm not familiar with him, sir. Let me show you another point. What's your question? Okay, now we've got another guy. This guy, is act- he act- in his uh, desire to interrupt, he, a- he actually stood up on the uh, armrests and, and, you know, and, and was standing like you know, really up high so that everyone can see him. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. Now, th- I, in case you couldn't hear it, I don't know how well the audio quality is going to work out when we put this into the podcast. He basically is saying, "Okay, so here's the deal. You're saying you're t- you know, Eric Dykstra takes the scripture out of context. He says, yeah, but you're only playing three minute long segments of the stuff that Eric Dykstra saying. How come? Yeah, you're not. You know, w- aren't you taking him out of context? That's, I guess, the the gist of it. Well, here is my answer. I'm glad you point that out. I'm glad you point that out, okay? Go to piratechristianradio.com forward slash double-crossed. I actually take the time to review about six of Eric Dykstra's sermon in context all the way through. Start to finish, okay? And here's the deal. I'm telling you as a Christian apologist and as somebody who's studied Eric Dykstra extensively, the false doctrine in his sermons, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, He takes such liberties with the text that you don't recognize anything that's biblical. Okay, That's why I'm taking the time to show you you take something and you put it back in context. The point is, no pastor has the right, biblically, to ignore Christians, to not feed them. No pastor has the right to take Jesus and invent their own. No pastor has the right to take biblical texts and tell people that they can buy miracles and blessings from God when the text, when you put it back in context, doesn't say that at all. These are not isolated incidents. It is a habitual habit with him. Over and over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter how many people attend the church. No pastor has the right to use deception to teach the truth. Can I agree? Um, can I ask you just did. Okay, so now he wants to ask me another question. And I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase a question in advance. This is a standard line from the seeker-driven guys. Well, how many people have you brought to the Lord is kind of the gist of the question, as if that's somehow to shut it down, as if I've, you know, I've never, my, you know, my preaching of the gospel has never resulted in anybody being brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. How many people do you think that you brought to Jesus Christ? Like, say, you know, we're going to go to heaven? Uh-huh. Okay, now, by the way, I, the, the answer I, I didn't give at the time is one maybe I might one I would have considered. I have no idea. I have no idea how many people have been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins through the preaching of the gospel through this, uh, through this radio outreach. I have no idea. I have no way of knowing. I can tell you this. There's a lot of people who listen, though, and that's, that's kind of where I went with this. Here we go. Uh-huh. My radio program is listened in 57 countries. I have the number one online Christian talk radio station in the world. I've got more people who download my program on a daily basis than go to Perry Noble's church, Stephen Furtick's church, and the Crossing Church combined. 
Okay, now somebody out, somebody else, another kid in the far back, he yells, he yells out, so you're awesome? That wasn't what my point. No, I'm not. I'm not. The point, the point is this. The point is this. The point is this. Numbers don't matter. The truth is what matters. Okay. And now things are getting out of control. <laughs> we got, he, he started, how many people at the crossing? This other lady, you know, chimes in and got kicked out. This is the lady who, by the way, remember earlier the report that I played from, uh, uh, from that Fox 9, uh, Fox Ch- Channel 9 affiliate there in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, Kelly Dykstra told the media that no one is ever kicked out of the crossing church for disagreeing with the, with, uh, the teaching of Eric Dykstra. Well, I think some of the people in the audience there would beg to differ, but uh, this lady in particular. Okay, now hold on. Now we got to bring things under control. We're going to get back. Let's get back. Security guys are kicking people out. Under control. Let's finish the rest of the thing, because again, this is all about testing what he's saying against God's word. Let's continue. One last point about hand over fist off people. They were ripping money away from the poor and the needy. They were living absolutely opposite to God's law, which is a God God of justice. And Christ walks in and he sees the poor getting ripped off and he goes, I will not tolerate injustice. Feel my whip, man. Bam. Like wider, walking into town. New sheriff in town, baby. No more of that. Kill all the bad guys. That's Jesus of Scripture. Jesus of Scripture has nothing to do with killing bad guys. Jesus of Scripture is all about dying for the bad guys. That would be me and you. Eric Dykstra preaches a Jesus of his own imagination. And the details matter. Because the scriptures tell pastors to preach the word in season and out of season. For the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but instead will gather around themselves preachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. I'm sorry. But when we test Eric Dykstra's teaching against the clear teaching of the Word of God, it's clear that he's teaching to scratch itching ears, which is what the Holy Spirit said not to do. That's the passage if you want to see it. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions, turn away from listening to the truth, and wander off into myths. It's a myth that Deuteronomy 15.10 teaches you that if you give everything to God, that He will bless you in every way. That He'll take care of your kids and make sure they don't get cavities. It's a myth that Jesus was a construction worker who hung out with Buzz and Shorty. It's a myth that He was like Wyatt Earp coming into town to kill all the bad guys. It's a myth that God wants you to sell your house, to sell your car, to cancel your cable, and give it to the crossing church. It's a myth that 
Eric Dykstra heard a vision or saw a vision from God to do church for the unchurched. He's a false prophet. He's a deceiver. According to the biblical standard, and God's word stands against him because he contradicts it constantly. I want to point something out to you. Jesus' talk does not equal preaching Jesus. Let me give you an example. If I said, I just want people to meet Jesus, what's the subject of the sentence? I. Right? This is something that Eric Dykstra does a lot. I just want people to meet Jesus. I want people far from God to come here and meet Jesus. I just want this. I just want that. What's the subject of the sentence? I. Who's he's really, who is he really preaching about? Himself. All I preach is Jesus. I. I want people to make Jesus the leader of their lives. What's the sentence? I is the, is the thing. It gets worse. I have a question for you. What does the Bible say about pastoral qualifications? What must a person do to be qualified as a pastor? One of the passages in Timothy says this, which is a pastoral epistle. Paul, writing to young Timothy, says, Study and show yourself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who rightly cuts, it's a tent-making word, who rightly cuts the word of truth. What makes a person qualified to be a pastor? Okay, I'm going to show you something. This is from the Mist sermon series, and this is one of the campus pastors. He just gave a miserable sermon on David and Goliath. And the whole point was to encourage people to face their Goliaths and become pastors. Calling, you can be more than just a Mist, you can be a David. And you know what, guys? That's awesome. I'm so glad to be part of a church with so many Davids in here with me. That's great, guys. You can go and grab a seat. I'm going to bring it up a step right now, though. I'm going to take it up a notch. All of you can be Davids, but not all of you have been called to be pastors. If God has put the Goliath in front of you to start a small group or to start a campus around here, I'm going to give you the opportunity to face that giant tonight, too. In just a minute, I'm going to have you guys, everybody stand up to give a round of applause to our Davids out there, but what I want you guys to do is I want you to run up to the front here and sign up to be a campus pastor, or in this other notebook, you can be a small group leader. You guys, tonight is your night that you can face that Goliath. Tonight is your night that you can make the commitment to be a pastor at this church and change people's lives. You might not have another few weeks. You might not have tomorrow. A year from now, you might not have this opportunity. If tonight is the night, or if God has put this Goliath in front of you, tonight is your night to sign up. In August, we're doing some training here. We'll prepare you really well. We will train you to beat that Goliath. But if this is what God has called you to do, I want you to run quickly to the fight. Now, I'm going to have everybody stand up in just a moment here, and I want you all to cheer and scream and yell for 10 seconds solid. Can you guys do that? We are going to cheer so loud that the angels up above can hear us. And all of you who are Davids who are going to be a campus pastor or small group leader, you need to run quickly up to the front. 
So let's do this, guys. Everybody up on their feet. Let's hear it. Let's As loud as you can do it. Let's hear it. All the campus pastors, all leaders, get up here. Sign up. If God has called you to do this, get up here. Sign up on the line. You can be a David. You don't have to be a mist. You can be way more than that. There's some sign-up sheets over here. Come on over here, guys. Sign on up. All right. Let's, come on. A little bit more. A little bit more. We got a lot of Davids in here. Heck yeah. Do you, do you think that anybody who responded to that and signed up on that sheet and received that training is qualified to be a pastor? This is in direct violation to what God's word says required is what is required from somebody who is a pastor. If you were to go to your doctor because you had a very severe pain in your side, you know, maybe you have a ruptured appendix or maybe worse, you have liver cancer. Would you feel confident if you asked the doctor, so what, what made you decide to be a doctor? Well, some guy said, come on down and choose to be a doctor, man. Come on, you could be a David, you could be a doctor. We'll teach you, you could, we'll teach about scalpels and stitches. It'll be great. Would you trust your life with him? Why would you trust your eternal soul with a pastor who has no qualification to be a pastor, who became a pastor by doing that? That is in direct violation against God's word. Read Timothy. First and second Timothy and Titus, if you don't believe me. Yeah. Okay, just so you know, this uh, the kid in the back who said, so does that make you awesome? He's now actually apologizing to me. So he says he wants, you know, I, he wants to apologize for saying what he said. Okay. You're forgiven. Christ has died for you. I want to point something else out. Religious predators must keep biblical literacy to a minimum. If you have a culture in your church that trash talks people who want to go deeper in the Bible or calls them Bible nerds or says that we don't study the scriptures here or we don't do Bible studies and stuff like that, there's a reason. Because anybody with just a modicum of biblical literacy can see right through a religious predator. And so... They always, 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 always de-emphasize the Bible. And instead, action in obedience to the pastor. I'll give you a secondary verse on this. this is in the same book, Titus 3 verse 9 says this. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigree or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These kind of things are useless and a big waste of time. Know what he's saying? Too many people get caught up in Bible studies rather than going out and helping people. They get caught up in Bible. Can I point out just like the obvious? He's quoting the Bible to try to prove that the Bible tells us against Bible studies. Hmm. Bible study after Bible study after. Hey, let's have another church service and we'll sing some more songs. And God's going, hello, how about you sing songs in heaven? Right now, there are people who need some help. Can you go help them? That's what he's trying to say. Leaders love action, not discussion and wasting their time. 
They love to get crap done. Leaders are people who go, it's not okay for the church of Jesus to say they love their neighbor, but all they really want to do is come to church and sing a song. Instead, we're really going to love our neighbor. We're going to get stuff done. We're going to be action-oriented, not discussion and Bible study driven. I got to ask a question for those of you who have two children of both sexes. Do you parent only the son or the daughter? Are Christians to only be action-oriented, or are they to read their Bibles and be action-oriented? It's both. It's both. The problem is the cutting of the tension and in favor of one over the other. Christians live out their faith in service to their neighbor. By the way, if you want to know what a good work is, read the Ten Commandments. That's how you know what a good work is. Love God. Love your wife. Be faithful to her. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't covet. Right? Don't lie. You want to know what it looks like to love your neighbor? Moms. Let me give you an example. Your daughter comes into your bedroom. It's the middle of the night. And she says, Mom, I feel sick. And then throws up on you. And you spend the next hour cleaning up barf. And making her feel better. Telling her it's all right. Giving her ice chips and working her fever down. That's a good work. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Why? Because God gave you that little girl. God gave you your kids. God gave you your husband. God gave you your wife. And you serve your neighbor in the things that God has given you to do. To be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mom, to be a dad to be an employee, to be a student, to be a child. God is served and our neighbor is served in the mundane, in the simple. And I can say this with certainty because God's Word tells us this. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Don't tell me that Christians are not action-oriented. You're action-oriented and you're loving and serving your neighbor if you're a good mom, a good employee, a good dad, a good student, a good child. So when you come to church, you need to be fed God's Word because you just spent an entire week loving and serving your neighbor and being action-oriented. And Sunday is the day that you've, only day that you've got in your busy schedule to come and consume and feed on God's Word. By the way, religious predators never answer a substantive criticism. Instead, they claim all critics are haters or sent from the devil. They're just haters. They're just bloggers. You know about those bloggers, right? They sit in their pajamas or they're naked in a bean bag <laughs> eating Fritos. It's in their mom's basement all day long. They're like snipers. They don't have a real life. They don't care about nobody, right? That's what we call an ad hominem argument, okay? And when somebody engages in an ad hominem argument, they're not dealing with the substance of something. They're basically just trying to demonize the person so they don't have to deal with the substance. Notice, I've never once said tonight that Eric Dykstra is a gunky head and that his wife dresses him funny. That's an ad hominem argument. Instead, I'm trying to tell you what he says and just carefully show you what the scriptures say and do the comparative work. He... I doubt, I'd be surprised, would take the time to answer these criticisms. He can't, because he can't stand up to the truth. 
Submit to your pastor. I'm going to point this out, and I think I'm going to have to end here because of time. Does a pastor exist in the church to rule over you or to serve? Serve. Okay? There's a document that was written during the Reformation called The Power and the Primacy of the Pope. I put a link to it at piratechristianradio.com forward slash double-crossed. The reason why is because this is a perennial problem in the Christian church. Pastors who end up overstepping their authority and trying to grab for themselves temporal authority that doesn't exist so that they, in, in a way, end up controlling the people over them and controlling their everyday lives. Okay? And when you talk to the people who've come out of the crossing church, I'm convinced that Eric Dykstra crosses this line in spades. Okay? But this document called The Power and Primacy of the Pope actually gives you the biblical basis to show you that the job of the pastor, the authority that he's been given, is to preach the gospel and to announce the forgiveness of sins. That's really the, that's the authority that the pastor's been given. But a pastor has not been given authority over you to tell you how to spend your day or how to do things in your life. Now, if you're in, in egregious sin, the pastor has to confront you and t- bring you to repentance and the forgiveness of your sins and may even have to discipline you. But that's because you are sinning against God's word and you confess Christ as your Savior. But he doesn't have the right to tell you who you can marry or anything of that nature, right? Okay, so read that document. It's called The Power and the Primacy of the Pope, and I put a link up to it. But I want to point something out from his submission series that I find to be very troubling. And again fits into the category of the type of stuff that I see from religious predators all the time. Below the waters of your face, deep in the recesses of your heart, there is a battle raging. And this battle is between authority and rebellion. Am I going to rebel or am I going to submit? And I hate that word. That's it. Submit. Hate that word. I don't like to be honest. Like, if you guys know me at all, like, you, you know that, like, I, I, I am a natural rebel at heart. I am, I want to not be controlled by anyone. Hate having to submit. And I would guess that many of you are in an equal situation. It's hard to submit to your parents when you think the curfew is stupid. Isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to submit to a boss when you feel like he's just a jerk. Hard to submit to the parking team when you really wanted to park over there. (laughs) It's hard to submit to a pastor. It's hard to submit to the police. It's hard to, for those of you that are in... Weird that he stuck that in that list. Weird. I've never heard, yes, your growing variety pastor, ever talk about submitting to your pastor in the same sentence as what it means to submit to a boss or to a police officer or anything of the sort. Now, I reviewed this entire sermon in context. You'll find the link at the website. Listen to it in context, because there's a lot more that he says that is very disturbing and fits the classic profile of a religious predator. Okay? I want to point out a couple of things. There's more that I could talk about, but I want to kind of leave you with these. Okay? How do you determine if a group is a cult? I want to circle back to this. These are not, this is not my diagnostic. You can find this on the website, too. I have a link to it. There's actually groups out there that specialize in control-type cults. Okay? How do you know 
a group is a cult. A cult is authoritarian in its power structure. The leader is regarded as the supreme authority. He or she may delegate certain power to a few subordinates for the purpose of seeing that members adhere to the leader's wishes and roles. There is no appeal outside of his or her system to greater systems of justice. In a cult, the leader claims to have the only final ruling on all matter. Ask yourself this question, those of you who've been kicked out of this church. Were you kicked out because you challenged something he said? This is a classic sign of a cult. Authoritarian. No way to appeal. You cannot challenge. The cult's leader, cult leaders tend to be charismatic, determined, and domineering. They persuade followers to drop their families, drop careers and friends to follow them. They, not the individual, then take over control of their followers' possessions, money, and lives. Cult leaders are self-appointed messianic persons who claim to have a special mission in life. Check. He has a vision from God, remember? And you don't want to question or challenge God. They appear to be innovative and exclusive. The leader claims to be breaking with tradition, offering something novel, and instituting the only viable system for change that will solve life's problems or the world's ills. While claiming this, the cult then surreptitiously uses systems of psychological coercion on its members to inhibit their ability to examine the actual validity of the claims of the leader in the cult. Those of you who have left the Crossing Church, have you seen this? The cult has basically only two purposes. Not one, two. Recruiting new members. Don't you dare come to church unless you have an apprentice. And fundraising. You will need to sell your house, cash in your 401k. Turn off your cable. Don't buy that extra snowmobile. Established religions and altruistic movements may also recruit and fundraise. However, their sole purpose is not to grow larger. Such groups have the goals to better the lives of their members and mankind in general. The cults may claim to make social contributions, but in actuality, these remain mere claims or gestures. Their focus is always on dominating by recruiting new members and fundraising. New members and fundraising. New members and fundraising. I've got a postcard for you. There's three of them. Fill, out, fill it out and send it to three people that are far from God so they can come and hear about how to have hot sex. By the way, making a decision to have hot sex is not the same as repenting of your sins and receiving Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Making a decision to find your purpose is not the same as being born again. Keep that in mind. Or being a good parent or whatever. Those are all fruits of the Spirit. He's marketing the fruits of the Spirit. Tend to be totalitarian in control of the behavior of its members. Cults are likely to dictate in great detail what members wear, eat, when and where they work, sleep, bathe, as well as what to believe, think, and say. I want to point something out. Those of you who've been hurt by Eric Dykstra, Jesus did not do this to you. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And he did not come to domineer you. You and I both, all of us, we are dead in trespasses and sins when we're born into this world. We're all rebel sinners against God. And God so loved the world that he gave. 
his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not the demander, he's the giver. And he's given you the gift of Jesus. And those of you who've been abused by Eric Dykstra, the hard part is not seeing that this was Jesus. I assure you that that was not Jesus who did this to you. You were ravaged and devoured by a wolf. But your great God and Savior bled and died for you, and he hasn't forsaken you. Don't blame this on Jesus. Thank you for coming. So there you have it. That was my uh, lecture that I delivered at the uh, conference, Double Cross by the Crossing Church. And uh, I'm happy to say that I've been receiving many emails from folks that were in attendance thanking me for uh, this eye-opening lecture that helped them to compare what Eric Dykstra was saying to God's Word. And uh, was after this was able to spend quite a bit of time fielding questions from people, meeting some of the people in the audience. And the nice thing was that um, that there were folks there that um, were sitting on the fence, and even that one kid who uh, you know basically took a shot at me and said, well, you know, are you saying that you're so awesome? He ended up coming up to me afterwards and personally apologizing, and I was able to spend some time with him. And he also spent some time with some of the folks there uh, from the uh, the Backdoor Ministries, and uh, you know they're meeting with him and helping him work through his pain and anger because he really feels deceived by Eric Dykstra. Uh, the word was is that uh, he actually went back and uh, listened to some random sermons that uh, Eric was you know had you know had preached. Went to his website, and he couldn't find a single instance where Eric properly taught a passage of scripture. So um, you keep the folks there in Elk River in your prayers and uh, pray that uh, that more people, that their eyes would be open to the false teaching and false ecclesiology, false, prophes- uh, false prophecies of the false prophet, Eric Dykstra, and that God would grant them, you know, open their eyes, grant them repentance and forgiveness uh, for their involvement in that it's not a church, but in, in, in at the crossing. So what would you think? I, you know, I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.